millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The unexamined life is not worth living. This famous saying of Socrates, recorded in Plato's Apology, is something of a foundational statement in Western philosophy. Starting this new Irish Times series, which explores great ideas of the past, present and potentially the future, we talk to Dr Catherine Kavanagh, philosophy lecturer at Mary Immaculate College Limerick and president of the Irish Philosophical Society, about what exactly Socrates was getting at in what's become a slogan for the thinking person and whether it's still relevant today. I started by asking her to explain the historical context of the saying. There, there was a real character called Socrates. Now, he wasn't anybody's idea of an academic philosopher or an academic. He was really what we would call a character. He stood on street corners in Athens and yapped. And he thought this was his divine calling. This is what he was called to do. And he's funny about it. He knows he's a yapper and a nuisance and so on. And this is how he talks about himself. Um... And this particular phrase is one that Socrates throws out as a challenge. He was ultimately brought to trial on a charge of corrupting the youth of Athens because they enjoyed his yapping. He, as I say, he was what you might call a character and he lived around the sort of the 4th century BC um, in Athens. So around the time of the Persian Wars, around the time of the Peloponnesian Wars, um, but this was the greatest moment, really, in, in Athens' history. It's our, it's our classic view of Athens. It's when the Parthenon was built. It's when the drama reached its apogee. But it was also, paradoxically, a time of great turmoil. The traditional ethic of all Greeks is found in Homer. It's a heroic ethic. But that was a very different type of society, and the urban society of Athens in a way had little enough use for it, and it was falling apart. And it was being replaced by really quite an exclusive focus on, on money, power, position. Um, Honour was a big thing. Um, now, the educators of that time, I mean, people charging an absolute fortune to educate the young suddenly sprang up with all of this money sloshing around. Uh, we call them sophists now. Uh, the education they provided was what these days we would call skills-based. It had really very little to say about the overall purpose of life. Um, there was no kind of worldview. So, in a sense, there was no ethics, because ultimately your ethics will be plugged into some kind of worldview. And if society is sort of drifting in the direction of valuing money and power exclusively, if that's what you value, then it's pretty difficult to convince you that anything should interfere, should really interfere with your pursuit of those. And of course that leads to an enormous amount of ruthlessness in public life in all sorts of ways. So in a sense, was he, he wasn't just calling for people to think deeper, but it was actually criticising the values of the time. That's exactly right. Yeah, that is exactly right. W was he a bit of an anti-capitalist, a bit of a kind of... I mean, how would you... How would he might be pigeonholed today, if you like? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. In a sense, capitalism sort of didn't really exist. Um, 
Socrates is interesting because we sort of go pro and anti-money. He was neither. He could take it or leave it, so to speak. And this is one of the things that people continually say, that um, he enjoyed a banquet as much as any man, but, you know, he could go without sort of food or drink for a long time, without particularly complaining. Um, his poverty was commented on, um, but on the other hand, he didn't really cultivate poverty. His, now, some of his followers, the philosophers we now know as the cynics, did in imitation of him. But it was sort of just a consequence of what he thought was valuable. It's not that he's saying, look, money is a bad thing or, you know, position is a bad thing. Well, he does have, he's a bit dubious about the ability to retain a political position for a long stretch of time without losing your head if you want to remain honest. Um, he thinks this is difficult to do. But um, it's really more, um, what sort of person are you? at his core to some degree at least he's an educationalist and he's, he's very interested in character formation and is that is that one of the most pertinent uh, aspects of, of what he's saying here and it's as per its relevance today he is interested in in character and in in the nature of character now character formation is interesting and his relationship to education is is interesting because one of the things that really annoyed the solid citizens of Athens and one of the things that, that brought him into court ultimately was the fact that he says, you know, really you can't teach virtue and you can't sort of legislate for everything. Um, ultimately, that's a decision that somebody makes for themselves. So, you know, he's not instructing in the sense of saying, well, this is good and you ought to do this. What he's doing is challenging all the time and saying, this is what you really do. Um, according, he, he doesn't even say that. He simply asks questions. And in the course of, you know, coming up with the answers, you are sort of nakedly revealed in all of your, you know, uh, greed or cupidity or wh whatever it might be. And Practically what was happening was that um, the young were finding this hugely entertaining. You know, they would hang around and watch him while he examined somebody. So um, because he challenged so much, as I say, people got annoyed. And they didn't want to kill him, but they really, not really. They did want to, you know, silence him. So he was brought to court on what's really a trumped-up charge. And the sentence recommended was death. Now, in Athens, you could plea bargain. Um, so what people expected was that he would come back and say, look, you know, I will go into exile or you know, I'll stay at home or whatever. But he refused. He just said, look, if you're going to execute me for this, go ahead. Otherwise, I will keep doing what I've been doing. And that's the context of the unexamined life is not worth living. Because this continual sort of challenging, asking questions, you know, sort of revealing what's really going on. This is really what his life is about. And he sees it as a kind of a divine calling that, you know, this is what he was made to do. This is his, his gift. He talks about himself as a gift to the city of Athens. Um, and this type of dialogue, because Socratic dialogue is sometimes seen maybe as just a negative thing. It's, it's taking apart people's beliefs. Is that, a, is that a mischaracterization what Socratic dialogue is about? So, certainly Socrates does do a lot of that. Um, the Platonic dialectic has, which, which is essentially you know, a development of, of Socrates' 
method. It's it's described as, you know, feeling out things. And the image that's used is a doctor feeling out kind of bones and muscles. So, you know, in some ways you take things apart and then you put them back together again. And um, so it's not purely negative. It is intended to, as it were, clear away false presuppositions to in, in, in order to make room for, if you like, a... A, a truer perception on things. So, for example, in the dialogue called the Symposium, um, Symposium is an entertaining dialogue because it begins with a drinking party and people make speeches and then Socrates deconstructs the speeches. But it finishes on this very serious note where he's thinking about kind of the transcendence of beauty and, and what that does for a person who experiences it. Um, so I don't think it's purely negative um, but I will say it's not comfortable um, it's not easy um, and you know, we all have our little sort of refuges and we don't much like having them taken away from us you know. Uh, going back just to the, this famous saying the unexamined life is not worth living, I suppose can you overdo it in terms of over-examine your life and be d- doubt too much um, I mean, allied to that, there's a lot of uh, psychological thinking these days that maybe quick decisions, your, your instant decisions can be better or, or wiser to some degree. There's a lot of this, this um, division between type one and type two, fast and slow thinking, and that sometimes the fast thinking is actually the one you should be relying on more. I, I mean, obviously, he might be able to speak to that c- contemporary research, but d- does, does, uh, does Socrates say anything about thinking too much or, or, or doubting too much? I don't think he thinks you can think too much. Now, this business of, of, you know, deciding quickly and deciding slowly, I mean, he would have been extremely familiar with that because he fought in all of the uh, Persian wars. So, you know, in a war situation, you have to decide in a battle, you have to decide very quickly. What he would have said, well, this is actually more a point that Aristotle develops, which relates to another question you raised about the the sort of the continuity within philosophy. But um, I think the response there would have been that um, if you are the kind of person who has, you know, formed themselves in in virtue, in honesty and courage, you know, these are the sorts of things that he thinks of as virtue, then when you have to make a decision quickly, it'll be the right decision. Because it's, you know, one of the the analogies they're always drawing is uh, between, you know, the, the soldier who's fit, and who can therefore do what's needed really quickly when required. So this is the same kind of exercise. It's um, personally um, by this, this continual sort of examination of what's going on, um, then, you know, when the time comes, you can act quickly and, and move quickly. He doesn't approve of, of sort of going mindlessly with the flow, Sometimes you do go with the flow because he says, you know, wherever the city stations me, there I will be and there I will do what they want me to do. So, you know, he he doesn't think that you um, sort of go off in some little kind of tangent of your own. I mean, it's it's, it's very, very interactive, you know. Um, One of the reasons why you are virtuous is because there are others there. There is a city that relies on you. So, you know, there's a very, very strong sense of of community underpinning all of this. Um, Now, you know, can can you overanalyze? Again, I think 
See, the dialectic has two movements, two moments, as I was saying. One is analytic, so that's taking things apart. Now, if all you do is take things apart, then, yeah, you, know, you, kind of, you do end up in a kind of situation of paralysis. But there's also then this, this counter-movement of where, where you kind of put things back together again. There's a synthesis. You know, it's a sort of continual exercise of this will make you quick figuring things out. This is what platonic education is about. This is why Plato founded the academy. Finally, if there was a Socrates today or if Socrates came back today, what sort of reception do you think he'd get? Would he be persecuted? Would he be ignored? What would happen to him? He describes himself as a gadfly. So if he came back, he would still want to be a gadfly. Yeah, I think he would still be unpopular. Now, would he be ignored? Now, that's an interesting question. I, I, I can't see Socrates going out of his way to, to, to sort of make a career in anything at all. But on the other hand, you know, I suppose one of the interesting things is that all sorts of odd people do manage to get listened to. People who would seem, for maybe for very good reasons that we shouldn't bother with, somehow or another do get a hearing um, and, and force themselves into the public consciousness. I think he'd find a way. I think he'd find a way to annoy us. I think we would still be annoyed. Is there a case to be made for more annoyance in Irish society from Irish philosophers or from a, a kind of a voice like Socrates? Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that, no, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I, I think perhaps there is, you know, in, in, in different ways. I mean, one of the things that struck me when I was preparing this material is preci precisely this question of, of personal integrity in a situation of, of, of great change and, and great turmoil. I... I I, I wonder what some of our financial wizards would say, you know, if you sat them down and asked them exactly Socrates' question. Are you not ashamed to be so interested in money and position? Nobody has asked that question, if they're ashamed of it. Um, it would be interesting to get the answer. Part of it is we are now responding to certain crises in our society with, oh, well, we must legislate for this, we must legislate for that, you know, we must legislate for the banks. And uh, you know, one, one of the things that emerges from the Socratic way of doing things is that unless you're the kind of person who actually values integrity and who actually values, if you like, the, the maintenance of a just legislation, where there's a law, there's a loophole. So, I mean, that, that huge question, I think it is a huge question, um, can, can we legislate to cover for a lack of personal integrity? Um, and if we can't, what are we going to do? Catherine Keller, thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.